0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Let's get a howl in really quick on everybody so they know to sit down. One, two, three. Get a howl on. Howl! Howl, howl! All right. It's refreshing to have the kids in here this morning. I know it's a lot of work, but it's kind of cool to have all the kids in here. Like I like looking up and seeing all the youngins running around and all that good stuff. All right, let's pray really fast before we get in the word this morning. The Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, God. We thank you for um, thank you for our church, Father, Lord. We thank you for um, your Son Jesus for doing a work inside of us and and. Um, father you gather us together here you know it's not by a coincidence that we're all here this morning um, we're not compelled by a goodness within ourselves that just says oh let's just go to church but you actually draw us to you um, and your word says that you are um, among us as we come together father lord um, and so we just praise you and we thank you for that pray that you help us we need you father we don't we 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 we, we need you to precede us in all that we do. Um, to be able to preach this word, um, we need you, Father Lord. To occupy our praises when we worship, we need you. Um, to push through and love others, Father Lord, we need you, Father Lord. To break through walls of hostility that exist between people and, and strangers and different things like that and different cultures like we can't do this stuff without you. It all sounds noble and it all sounds good, but we are at your mercy in it, Father Lord. And so um, so we we, we want to see your gospel proclaimed. We don't even want to pursue these things as just something that seems noble or, or out of piety, Father Lord, but you've you've come and you've lit you've occupied our heart, Father Lord, and you've taken residence up inside of us as believers, and you call us to proclaim the gospel. And so we want to be able to spread the good news. We want to be able to make relationship with people. We want to love each other, Father Lord, because your word says that you're glorified when we love each other as brother and sister, Lord. So we want to do that. And so this morning, Father, we pray that this word um, helps us lay down our burdens, Father Lord, and to actually pick up a yoke that's easy and find rest in the good news of the gospel this morning. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? good all right all right give your neighbor a fist bump really really quick awesome good stuff all right so i know we have the kids in service this morning so we're gonna have a little bit of movement and um moving around so i'm going to I always say i'm gonna cut this the, uh, sermon a little bit shorter but i always go way longer um i think last week i did like an hour and it was the shortest notes I've ever had, like since I preached, but it, like, it, I don't know. Anyway, I'm gonna let the Lord does do what he does this morning. So, who was with us last week? All right. So, last week we were in Matthew 22. I'm gonna start off there just to kind of refresh where we're at. But we were, um, or we touched on Matthew 22, but we were talking about this particular scripture. It talks about your neighbor, right? And loving your neighbor as yourself. And one of the things we talked about was, your neighbor is also your enemy. Um, and so I, last week I wanted to put us in a situation where um, we end up hopeless in ourselves. When God says to love your neighbor, he puts you in a very hopeless situation in yourself. Like you can't do what he's asking you to do without the power of God. And what I mean by that is this right here. I don't. If you're human, when somebody crosses you, mistreats you, or abuse, abuses you, it is hard to grasp the idea of actually loving that person. Do you all agree with that? Right? So the Bible puts you in a situation where you're like, Lord, this is actually not possible outside of you for us to do this. Um, so let me read Matthew 22 to you, um, starting at verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they're talking about Jesus, it says, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, right? So your neighbor is also your enemy. But, like, here's the thing. I think in the day and age that we live in, it's hard to reach out to your neighbor because it seems like we live more and more in isolation. Do y'all agree with that? Right, like, if you go inside of a doctor's office where you used to kinda see people talking to each other, now all you see is people in their phone, right? I'm guilty of it, I'm so guilty of it. Every now and then my wife gives me that talk like, I need you here, brother. Go get a pamper and get to work, get out your phone, right? All right, y'all acting like y'all never had that conversation. But like, you know, we want to do what the word says. We want to love our neighbor. But we have this hurdle of dealing with an epidemic of isolation that we have to get over. I got a question for y'all real quick. What do you think, and I want y'all to actually scream out answers. So this is crowd participation, all right? What do you think isolates people? Most definitely. Most definitely. Sin, shame, fear. What's up with this side? Come on now. What else? Offense. Independence. What else? Envy. All right. Anything else? Hold on. What? Selfishness. Selfishness. Okay. All right. This is good stuff. So let me let me read something to you, right? This statistic, this is from AARP. It says approximately 42.6 million adults over the age 45 in the United States are estimated to be suffering from chronic loneliness. 45 million adults over the age of 45. So we're not even touching under 45, right? Another, another study, there's 148 studies combined that represent over 300,000 people, it says that um, with greater social connection, that greater social connection is associated with a 50% reduced risk of early death. So that means when we actually hang together and roll together, we prolong each other's life. And even though statistics actually show us this, we still opt to be completely separated from each other, right? And so one of y'all actually said something. You said, um, when I said, you know, like, why, why the isolation? You said fear, right? Fear of what? Somebody answer that. You can, you can say whatever. Scream that out. What do you think we have fear of that isolates us? Rejection. You're right. Um... Yesterday we were, um, we were over in Brentwood Apartments and we were walking around and we were knocking on doors. We split up in groups and we were in the park playing. And so we went and we were knocking on doors and stuff or whatever. And I was, you know, I had my crew of kids and everything and I'm going to doors and I'm going to people's door and they're like, I'm like, hello, we're from the church. What the blip you want? Like it, like, it was just like, people were like, come in the door. You know, the kids with me were like. They don't even know us. They just want us to come in the door. Like, it was just so many, you know, some, some of the rooms we walked in, it was just a smoke cloud. I was just like, is it on fire in here? Y'all, ain't, y'all catch up later. Right? You'll catch up later. You'll catch up later. And so, but like I was thinking about the scripture and loving your neighbor, right? And so, what I'm trying to say is when I'm knocking on people's doors, people got a lot of different scenarios going on. In their lives right and so like you can when, when you start looking at these scenarios sometimes it feels like how do I actually jump in and become a part of this to actually start loving this person or start walking in this person's life with them or have them actually how do we how do we walk together right I was reading first Corinthians 13 it says this it says it gives you the answer right off the bat it says love is patient it says love is kind I think that's worth clapping over. Y'all don't got to clap if you want to. I just think that's some good stuff. That's good news. It's good news. But the thing is, is when you deal with people, you deal with what one of you said. You deal with rejection. It just comes with it. There's, there, none of us are perfect. We're sinful. So the sweetest of us can still be the meanest of us, Right? It just is what it is. You, 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 can find, you can find the husband you've been looking for all your life or the wife you've been looking for all your life. You're going to want to choke them more than anybody you ever met in your whole entire life. It just is what it is, right? It's like we talked about David the other week. It's King David, and then you also have David who slipped up with Bathsheba. We're broken people. With Jesus, you get the best of us. Without him, you get, you get a, a, a wretched mess. You get where I'm coming from? But if we're going to love our neighbor, this thing about isolation is something that we have to address, right? And this isolation has to do with judgment. One of you said rejection. But people hide from judgment, right? So if you've ever rode in the car with me before, who's ever been inside of my car with me? Cause you can attest to this. Soon as you get in my car, you're gonna get a disclaimer. Yo, maybe a pamper in here. I've become accustomed to the smell. Sit back, put on your seatbelt, and just ride. Right? I'm stating a disclaimer. Cause my car is disgusting sometimes. So I'm worried about sometimes I'm like, hey, nah, brother, we're going. they be like, man, it's hot out here. I don't have any AC. Somebody might tell me that, and they'd be like, You got AC in your truck, Jay. I'm like, yo, chill, yo. A <laughs> C ain't all that. Let's ride in your car. I'm worried about rejection. You get where I'm coming from? I'm worried about you judging me, right? We all experience it. Just think about it. Like, we alienate people all the time. People are like, yo, I want to come over and spend some time with you. Be like, not this week you won't. My house is a, a, a hurricane came through it. We're worried about judgment. We're worried about people looking in on us and seeing our brokenness. We're worried about people seeing that we're not perfect, right? But when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's amazing because it says, it it tells you how to get side by side with somebody and walk with them. It says love is not patient, but it says it keeps no records of wrongs, right? It says it always trusts, it always um, protects, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It does this thing like the gospel walk, the way it redeems, it gets next to somebody and it just starts walking with them. It doesn't take them and judge them and tell them everything that's wrong with them. It actually gets side by side with them and begins to take a journey with them. Y'all get where I'm coming from? This is important. This is extremely important because I'm saying this because I'm just as judgmental as the next person. It's just my sin looks like that. It looks like me taking stock of people and then trying to navigate a story off of that. But this is not what God tells me to do. So, like, I have to repent before this or whatever. But, like, we're believers, so this is lucrative for us to walk out what God has called us to do, right? You think about judgment. Judgment sets barriers and division, right? It sets lines, it sets lines. If I'm, if, if, if I look at you and I begin to actually judge you before I actually get in conversation with you, our conversation is gonna go completely different, right? I, I don't like, you know, it's like when you go talk to somebody or whatever and they have like a booger on them or something, like you can't hide it. You're just like, yeah, how's your day? You know what I'm saying, like, you can't get past it. And it's the same thing when you kinda of judge people and you don't, and, 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 and before you get to actually know them, like if your intention is not walking with them as God calls us to walk with them, you do this thing where you actually judge before you get next to them, right? You look at the city of Jacksonville, part of our history is that, um, I believe in 1960-something, 68 maybe, um, when we actually consolidated the city, a lot of the story goes that the black vote was becoming very strong in this city. So, what did we do? We drew a new line. It's a historical division that changed the course of our whole city, but we drew a line. That's what judgment does, it always draws a line. Let me read something to you. It's John 12, starting in verse 40, 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in, do- in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. This is an important statement for the Christian, because we often believe that our calling as a Christian is to walk around judging everybody, right? Right? That's like the stench that rises from Christianity in the country right now is that people think that we are judgmental. It's not that we don't judge what's right and wrong, but we've become judgmental. We've become people's judges, right? So Jesus himself says, if any one hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Right? So Jesus, moved, Jesus walked the earth with a, I came here to handle business kind of walk. And the, and the business is proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Right? To not judge somebody dead in their tracks, but to lift them off the ground from their tracks. Right? and start a new narrative in their life that switch the trajectory, to bring them from dead to, to life, right? I'm going to read a story to you here, right? It's John 8, 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Do do any of y'all remember being lost in your sin? Like, do do you remember what it feels like to be too filthy to be loved? Do you ever, even as a believer right now, have things that come and haunt you from the past that say, like, you, you're not worthy? Who are you going to preach to? I know what you done did. Who are you going to preach to? What do you look like after you done? So you're going to stand on the same block and preach to the same people that you sold the same drugs with, did the same dirt with, the accuser of the brethren. Y'all, anybody deal with that? But here we have Jesus. Everybody has their stones lifted high. This woman's caught in adultery. Is she guilty? Yes, she is. She's guilty. But Jesus like, I'm not here to condemn you. He's here to give life and life more abundantly. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like what I wanted to confront you with is I wanted to confront you with your posture of how you enter every relationship with your neighbor. Whether it's your neighbor that's the enemy because it's, it's all in there, right? Your neighbor is your enemy, and it's your neighbor that just seems utterly neighborly and just great, easy to get along with. All of them. We enter these conversations with an intent of drawing closer to the Father. That's where we start at, right? It doesn't matter where they're at in life. It doesn't matter what they do on a day-to-day basis. What matters is us coming into relationship in the gospel we live out with them. Not being a gospel that condemns them, right? But a gospel that paints a picture of Jesus Christ, king and savior, right? The one who has joy, who dances over his children, who has joy to see his children escape judgment for their iniquities. Y'all with me? We serve a father, right? A king who actually takes joy in us escaping from our sin. But often as Christians, we function as if like we just want to judge people so bad. It's hard to tell if we've actually been set free from anything at all because like we, we, we love catching somebody in something. We love pointing somebody's guilt out. We love telling somebody they fell short. That's not what God has called us to do, right? And at the end, he says, she said, verse 11, it says, she said, no one, Lord, and Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's good news. I've been in a jail before, right? So if you come to my jail cell and you say, Hey, you're free. Don't come back no more. That is not going to be condemnation whatsoever. Matter of fact, you might just see a cloud of dust because I'm going to be taken off. What? The door's open? I'm out, brother. Peace. You don't have to tell me, all right? But the good news is, if she sins some more, he's going to be standing right there once again. Not with condemnation. He's going to be standing there with mercy and grace. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's what brings us back to 1 Corinthians. It's 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 a walk of patience right it actually it keeps no records of wrongs how many of y'all then had to come to jesus and and how many times you've had to come before the lord and repent for something you've repented over like a million times right this is when the gospel is the sweetest i was talking to one of my brothers the other day or whatever he's like man i just keep messing up i make grace look so horrible i was like no you actually make grace look beautiful that's what it is. You don't deserve it. The grace gets more and more real every time you fall. What Satan keeps saying to us all the time is, you're a failure. You've been here a million times. You can't get it right. You're the worst of the worst. But Jesus is like, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. You can't out it. No matter how much of a low-down, dirty dog you think you are, you cannot outrun my mercy and my grace for you. So I want to read this to you, right? This is, uh, I'm going to read Luke 4. This is right after Jesus came from, um, he, he just came out for his fast for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, right? And so Satan's out there tempting him or whatever, right? Jesus is out there He's not eating. He's not drinking. Satan's coming out there with, 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 you know, coconut water, you know, everything. Ice coolers full of fresh drinks. He's coming at him hard, right? And Jesus is resisting him or whatever. And then Luke 4, he, after he comes out of, after he's successful um, and, and overcomes the enemy coming at him, he does this. Let me read this to you. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So a couple of things I want you to look at in the Scripture, right? In verse 18, when he runs down the list of the people, this is Jesus. So you have to think about this for a minute. Like, this is Jesus setting off his ministry, right? So he goes into the temple. He reads this scroll. This is like pretty much like his... his um, his his mission statement, right? For sure. He's like, this is where he shows up. Like, y'all, you know, like, he's like, I'm Jesus. It's about to go down. Like, that's basically what's going down right here. It's about to go down. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty, Liberty, those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is the mission of Christ. This is the mission that he's given to this church. But let's look at who he's talking about, because I think this is important when we're talking about neighbors, right, and loving people and everything else. He's talking to the poor, captives, blind, and oppressed. You catch that? Those are the people he's talking about. I don't know about you, But I'm going to just throw us into attention because I want us to think about it. I want you to think about it individually with your walk and how God kind of weighs on you with this. When I read that list, it convicts me a whole lot concerning the church because I feel like, especially in the climate we're in today, but I think we could just historically go through this all the way to the beginning of our country, it seems like the established church has actually set out to have war against the poor against the captives, against the blind, and against the oppressed, right? That's not completely true. It's not not a completely true statement, but it's a statement that draws attention that we all as believers have to live in it, right? Because I can assure you there is many Christians out serving the poor, loving on the oppressed, being with captives and being with the blind. So here's the thing. I know many of you inside of this church, like I see people post stories about people who do heroic work and serving people. And, like, sometimes I'm like, man, I know so many people in our church that, like, just do this and don't tell nobody. So I know it gets done because I see it even happen in this room, right? But there's still a narrative with church today that this scripture has to convict us where it's like we, we don't give the oppressed any credibility when they say they're oppressed, right? The response to them is like, no, you're not. You did it to yourself, right? Our churches often reek of classism, right? So we minister to people who are exactly like us. That's what's going on in most of our churches. When it comes to race, we're at 2.5% diversity in the whole church. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's a problem. Like, it's a problem we need to all wear closely because none of us are better than it, right? And so when we're functioning inside of something that's already systematic, it's easy to gravitate to what's the norm. So it's like, as the church, you have to be awake and intentional about warring against these things, right, to pinpoint your neighbor and what being neighborly looks like right so there's a lot of things that, that when i think of in my mind i'm like why why is classism so prevalent in the church it makes sense to me you come from different places you do things very differently right so the so when we read in first corinthians this is this is a this is a prescription for our brokenness its patience your nerves will get bad dealing with people who are different than you. It just is what it is, right? It doesn't mean that they're messed up. It doesn't mean that you got it all together. It means that we're different and to bring things into unity or whatever, it means it's gonna take patience, right? Anybody married in here or whatever? And like once y'all like you realize, like, oh, this is gonna take some some patience. Like, this is this is the greatest person on earth to me that I'm marrying or married to, and it's still going to take patience. You get where I'm coming from? So we'd be absolutely crazy to think that we show up in the street and meet people or we get in relationship with people and it's just going to go so easy, right? We're not going deep if it doesn't need these things. It takes patience. It takes kindness, right? We can't dishonor others. This thing about dishonor is talking about judging people. Like our job is not to walk in and just tell everybody how they should actually do things and have things. That's that's not what the that's not what God has called us to do. That's not how we redeem what's broken. That's what everybody expects. That's the reason why there's so much isolation. Because people expect to be judged and not loved. And this is what the supremacy of God is why God is so supreme in a broken world, because He sends us, He sends us as deliverers of the good news and the gospel, not only to proclaim it, but to live it out. Are y'all with me? That's why it reigns supreme. It's the good news in a world that is broken, that's lost. I had a friend, um, not too long ago, I was at um Um, I was at Harvard, and um, I think I told you all this before, but I'm going to just say it again. One of my friends that I was there talking to, he's not a Christian, not a believer, um, and he made this statement to me about Harvard. He said, everyone here thinks they are innovating and forging a brave new path. He said, we are actually perpetuating the same systems that have always been. We are elitists. I'm gonna say that statement again. Hold on to it while I keep moving. It says everyone here, he's talking about where he was at, at school. He says everyone here thinks that they are innovating and forging a brave new path. We are actually perpetuating the same systems that have always been. We are elitists. Let me, let me work that out for you a little bit. That's not, and here's the thing, that's one person's perspective, but I wanna I, I want, I want work out with you what he's getting at, right? when we talk about proclaiming liberty to the captives or recovering the sight to the blind and set people at liberty who are oppressed, I think one of the issues that we run into in the church is that we all assume that we understand um, what it's like to be in broken situations, right? Um, So if you... If you go into most conversations um, concerning the church and its move towards um, alleviating poverty or walking side by side with people who who live in poverty um, or who are oppressed, you're usually going to find nobody who's actually poor or oppressed sitting at the table. Who thinks that's problematic? It's an issue, right? So it's like, it's like a room full of men trying to determine what women need. That's a problem, right? It, 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 it's, it's a problem. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. So there is this there's this arrogance that ends up at the table, right? There's this richness that ends up at the table, which is basically an arrogance. So like it's like to understand what we're dealing with from a poor perspective, you need you need to taste what it's like to be poor. I'm not saying that you have to alleviate yourself of everything that you have, but you need to get in close proximity as much as you can, right? You need to turn your ears on to listen, right? You actually need to love somebody so much that, like, what hurts them starts to hurt you, right? So, like, some of my brothers or whatever that we've, like, entered into this conversation concerning racial reconciliation, I always know when we hit a point when, like, we're talking through different things and they don't get it, but then that moment when they walk in the room and see me get mistreated and then they get mad as they were like, I can't believe they just talk to you like that. You know, I'm about to go in. I'm like, oh, you just took on my pain. Like because you love me, that just hurts you before. I couldn't get you to see it. But that now that hurts you. You're not me and you can't understand everything I deal with, but we've been in such close proximity, now you can feel and taste my pain. Does that make sense? Any of y'all ever seen Batman Begins? Come on, man. I know we got some Batman people up in here. Come on. All right. There's this part where Batman walks into the restaurant, and this is right after his parents had got murdered, right? And he's talking to Falcone, the mob boss. Um, does anybody remember this scene where he walks in the restaurant? A couple people. All right, baby, you remember it? She don't like movies like that. All right. Anyway, so he walks in the, he walks in the in the into the place or whatever, and Batman comes in or whatever, and he looks like he just you know came out of like Princeton. He has on this full you know he's dressed up and stuff or whatever, but he's mad. And he walks up and he rolls up on Falcone and Falcone says this to him. He says, "This is a world you will never understand." Don't come down here with your anger trying to prove something to yourself. This is a world you'll never understand and you'll always fear. And then he stops for a second and he goes, but you don't understand. What he was saying to him was, I can tell you this, but your arrogance still won't allow you to understand. He's saying, we're poor, you're rich, and you're going to be tripped into always thinking and assuming that you actually get it and have the answer for it. He goes, he's basically saying, until you can taste what we taste, you won't get it. You won't know how much you don't know, and you'll always trip up thinking you know it, right? I know I'm talking Batman, but I'm trying to help you out here or whatever. Like, just work with me, right? But the next scene, Batman walks out of there. He takes his wallet, throws it in the trash. He gives his coat to a homeless guy and he jumps on the boat and the next thing you see, he's overseas somewhere and he's homeless in the street scrapping for something to eat. He's in the jail cell brawling. He is fighting. He was, he, he took Falcone at his word. He's like, until I can taste this, he's right. I'm going to be missing it, right? The gospel It gives us a a great degree of understanding of brokenness when you believe it. It does not give us a master's degree in judgment. That's not the purpose of it. The gospel lays us flat on our face. It takes every human. I don't care where you come from. You could come from the mountaintop or the valley low. You could come from the hood, or you can come from the the Rothschilds. It does not matter. It makes every person guilty, a criminal, wretched, broken, disgusting, not able to save themselves, helpless. It takes the arms off of everybody, and it puts us all in need of a Savior. Do you get where I'm coming from? So, like, I'm saying that so you can know because this problem that I just described, it, it, it could catapult you into thinking, well, then I got to go do some work so I can be worthy to do this work. What I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus Christ has already done the work. The work is in you believing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? The work is actually in believing that you actually need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Right? Jesus became poor for us. He was despised for us. Jesus knows what it is to be bullied for us. He knows what it is to be rejected. He's not an elitist, he's a participant. He lays his life down for those he saves, right? We're one with his blood. We're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. That's what Jesus does. I'm going to read Isaiah 53 and I'm going to end with it. But I just want to make a point because I want to make sure I tie this together for us all to get this. Proclaims the good news to the poor. You're not gonna proclaim good news to the poor if you're elitist. If classism rules in your life and you don't wanna to associate to the have nots, you're not gonna proclaim the good news to the poor. You may do something you think is really noble and say I'm concerned about that over there or whatever and come up with something that you know, tries to help it but doesn't bring you in proximity That's what we see in politics all the time. People who are very, we're concerned about that over there, but we actually don't know what it needs because we won't get close enough to know, right? Proclaim liberty to the captives. If you want credibility with the captives, then just go stand with the captives. Go talk with them, right? Or better yet, believe the gospel and realize that you actually were one set free by the gospel. Do you, get what I'm, do, you, do you get what I'm trying to tell you? Like, we deny the gospel when we deny these things. That's why I asked you, do you remember what it means to be lost? Do you remember what it felt like to be separated from Jesus Christ? Because if you can remember that, then you can, you can identify with what it means to be a captive. Right? If you can remember what it means to, like, not have been able to save yourself, then you know what it means to actually be poor in spirit and be broken. That's not something that you just push down memory lane when you become a Christian, something you keep you keep close to your heart because it's what's going to help you love people, right? You're going to love the broken because you're going to remember being broken. You're going to realize you are broken and still need Jesus perpetually every day to keep walking. You're going to set at liberty those who are oppressed because you're going to realize I'm guilty of oppressing people I have been oppressed and I have been saved despite I don't deserve it but I have been so it's going to be deep in the core of your soul through the Holy Spirit for you to see those who are captive set free does that make sense church Let me read Isaiah 53, and then we'll pray and we'll close. This, this text, I've, I've ended plenty of services with this scripture right here. And, um, and I probably always will, because it, uh, it tells us about Jesus in a, um, it's just an intimate, intimate description of Christ and who he was. And who he was for us and what he did for us. But it's also something for us to esteem to want to be like as believers. Like what we want radiating out of us, right? So let me just read this to you. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of anguish, his soul, he. Out of his out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one my servant make many be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities church let's pray thank you father Lord God we um, we thank you for this day father Lord we um We pray that through your spirit, you would dust off elitism, classism in our hearts, Lord. Um, Let our hearts burn for people that you burn for, Father Lord. Let us not be forgetful um, that you saved us. You saved us, Lord, when we were lost, poor, in our sins, um, and separated, Father, Lord. So we just praise you, and we thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you for loving us. We, we thank you for the gift that you give us and that um, you crush our confidence in ourselves. Um, and we're still crazy enough to think that we can do it and we can do things by ourselves, and it's just simply not true. Um, So I pray, Father Lord, that you help us to believe your gospel and take it as it is, to not jump around certain parts of it, but to look it dead in his face, even when it hurts us. Help us to love our neighbor for real, Father Lord. Um, Help us to um, not do this out of just st- our own strength and out of out of piety and out of just our idea of good works, Father Lord. But I pray that you would cast us into this rich, rich relationship, um, and uh, with, with you, Father Lord, and that it would produce a peculiar love for the people around us, um, and the people you have us encounter. I pray, Father Lord, that like the verse in uh, Corinthians, Father Lord, you would help us to be patient um, and to not hold, um, you know, judge people and hold records against them, Father Lord, but that for us the biggest thing would be to forgive and have mercy um, and for you to be glorified through that. So we just praise you and we thank you for your word this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey church, so we are, um, right now we're going to worship together as a church and we're also going to take communion. Um, we're going to have people in the front praying right now. So if you, if, I mean, if this word, um, struck you this morning or if you feel like God, I really need to be thinking through this and, um, please come up and let somebody pray with you. If you're here today, you're not a believer and you are interested in, um, just, you feel like God is calling you to follow him, like, come up. We want to pray with you. Um, it's nothing to be embarrassed about at all. I gave my life to Christ in the church, and I did not want to walk through the front. I thought I was too cool for all that. And, man, I wish I would have done it 20 years before that when I was, like, a year old. But anyway, uh, we love y'all. I appreciate y'all this morning.